Ephesians 2, verse 11. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, We'll be reading down through verse number 22, and we'll be looking at these um, 12 verses, verse by verse this morning, and drawing some truths out of them that I believe will help all of us to uh, be better Christians and and deeply value our church. We'll read responsively. I'll begin in verse 11. We'll begin together in verse number 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at the time, together verse 12, ready, that at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace." And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple unto the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. We see a lot in this passage about uh, being unified and built upon one another and the body of Christ, and the title of the sermon this morning is this, Unity Found Through the Body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church, and we are to find unity, peace, through our church. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, would you help us to grasp the truths that Paul was so carefully laying out for the church of Ephesus, a Gentile church. And Lord, uh, uh, truths that are applicable to us here today, so many years later. And Lord, help us to commit to and desire greatly unity uh, within ourselves, within our marriages, within our homes, within our family, Lord, within our country. But Lord, also may we find that, may the genesis of it be found through the body of Christ at church. And Lord, thank you for Jesus who worked so hard on the cross to bring unity to mankind. And Lord Jesus, you did your part. And those of us that trust in you for salvation have found unity with the Father. And Lord, may we now have unity with each other. May we have unity through that Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, the sunflower. The sunflower is probably the most amazing flower God created. Um, the, the uh, sunflowers literally follow the sun. Now, I don't know about, uh, about you, but one of the most amazing things I have ever witnessed is a field of sunflowers. Watching one follow the sun is cute, 
But watching a whole field of sunflowers follow the sun through the sky is just incredible. It's mesmerizing. It's breathtaking. Um, Something I found out recently is that once the sun goes down, the sunflowers continue to follow the sun 360 degrees all the way around until it comes back up the next morning. Um, their unity, now watch this, their unity is totally dependent on the sun. Totally dependent on the sun. Their relationship to the sun. Uh, Their relationship with each other is based on their relationship to the sun. Are you all beginning to see the application in the Christian life today? Um, In order for a church... To be in unity, they must follow the S-O-N, Son, God's Son. And as we match our lives up individually to the standard of the Bible, the written word, we match up our lives individually to the standard of the Bible, God's holy word, we will quickly find that we begin to get along with each other very naturally. We begin to find that we begin to do the same things. And our desire, our drive, our push, our uh, passions, our uh, ideals, our philosophies, our attitude all begins to be the same because we're all focused on the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that many problems that exist in our relationships are a result of our lack of remembrance of the sin from which we were saved. If we would remember just how gracious God was to us, and just how undeserving that we were, then maybe we could learn how to extend that grace to others. Someone isn't real nice to you. Someone mistreats you. Someone's unkind to you. And this is just a nasty, ugly person. And you think, I'll never forgive. I'll never let it go. I'll never move on. Aren't you glad God, in His grace, didn't treat you that way, didn't treat me that way? Aren't you glad that He forgives us over and over and over again? This morning, we're going to take Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, and we're going to look at four truths found that talk about unity and the body of Christ. All right, let's jump in this morning um, and notice point number one, the peril of the condemned. The peril of the condemned. Look at verse number 11 with me of Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. Notice the groupings here. You have the uncircumcision and you have the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at, the t- at that time, meaning in the past, at that time, ye were without Christ. Notice the language here of people that are without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. Look at the con- condemnation here. Having no hope and without God in the world. Now, the Jews had developed, at this point in history, the Jews had developed a very racist attitude uh, over many centuries. And the Jews, in many ways, what they had done is they had hoarded God all to themselves, and they had no interest 
in sharing Jehovah God with those who they had labeled, they had labeled Gentile dogs. Okay, so you have the the snooty, uppity, uh, um, uh, uh, overprivileged, if you will, child who looks down on the other child and just rejects him, wants nothing to do with him. And when I say children, I'm not. I know that no one's a child of God until they get saved. But uh, just with the analogy here, stay with me. You have one set of people that God made the Jews, and you have another set of people that God made. Everyone who isn't a Jew or a Gentile, and the Jews uh, have been uh, had a relationship God for centuries now, and they look down on the Gentiles as though they were subhuman. Please understand that was never, ever, ever God's intention. Can you take your Bibles over to First Kings? chapter number 8. 1 Kings chapter number 8, and look with me at verse number 41. It was never, ever God's intention for the Jews to push the Gentiles out and for the Jews to hoard God to them. Now, God called the Jews uh, to be His chosen people, and God called the Jews for uh, 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 them to follow Him and be near to Him and closer to Him than any other people group. But that doesn't mean that God didn't want a relationship with non-Jews. Look at verse 41 of 1 Kings chapter 8. The Bible says, Moreover, concerning a stranger, that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake. Look at verse 42. For they shall hear of thy great name, and of all thy strong hand, and of thy stretched out arm, when he shall come and pray Toward this house, hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people of the earth may know thy name. All people of the earth may know thy name, to fear thee as do thy people Israel. Notice the invitation here to have a relationship with God on the same level as the Israelites, and that they may know that this house which I have builded is called by thy name. Now, interestingly enough, there was a courtyard area outside of the Solomon's temple that had been built, and even the second temple that was built, and the purpose of the courtyard, the purpose of the courtyard was for Gentiles to come and behold the place where God dwelled. And that's part of the reason why when in the New Testament, uh, Jesus walked in and saw that the courtyard was filled with people selling and making money, God said this area right here outside of the temple is meant for Gentiles to come and be able to worship me here in this courtyard and instead you you sell animals and you've turned this house of prayer where the Gentiles are supposed to be able to come and pray. You have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, uh, uh, we see in the New Testament God worked really hard to break down this racial barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. You may remember that Peter uh, was on the rooftop in Acts chapter number 10, and he's up there sleeping, and he has a vision as he's hungry. He has a vision, and there's uh, a blanket lowered down, all types of animals on top of it. You all familiar with the story here? And God said, he said, uh, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. And uh, there's all kinds of unclean animals there that were against their dietary laws. And Peter said, I can't do it, Lord. Uh, not so, Lord. And, and, and God said, what I have called clean, call not thou unclean. What was he saying? He was saying these animals on this blanket, clean and unclean animals, represent Jews and Gentiles. And God says, hey, in my eyes, they're all clean. They're all clean. And he was doing away with the dietary laws, but he was also telling Peter, go preach to the Gentiles, Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. And then we see the life of Paul. 
Paul gets saved going down the Damascus Road. And what was Paul assigned to do? He was assigned to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to take the gospel message of, uh, the, of, of the gospels, take the message of the gospels, the story of Jesus, and preach that to the Gentiles. Now, in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, he reminds us, uh, rather, he reminds the church of Ephesus that as humans... Uh, of the sin, uh, that uh, rather he reminds them as humans of sinful darkness that they that that they have been saved from this darkness. Here in the middle of the chapter, he reminds them of the racial tension and darkness of which they have been rescued. So, what is uh, we talk about the peril of the condemned? Where do people who die in their sin end up? Well, to be blunt and to be frank, they end up separated from God. In hell, and God does not want anyone to perish. The peril of the condemned. Number two, notice the provision for concord. So we see in point number one a divide. A divide. We see that Jews and Gentiles aren't getting along on the earth. We see that uh, God does not get along with sinners. So we have a horizontal division. We have a vertical division. And you know what uh, Satan uh, comes to do? He comes to do three things. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. You know what those uh, equal? They equal division. They equal fractions. They equal fightings, both in and out. Um, Those are the opposite of unity. And you know what the message of the Bible is? The message of the Bible is unity. And God says here through the pen of of Paul, he says, "I, I, I am all about concord. Unity, And I want to heal the divide between Jew and Gentile. I want to heal the divide between God and man. Look at verse number 13. And notice here the provision for concord. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye, speaking of the Gentiles, who sometimes were far off, are made nigh, brought in, that healing by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus, is our peace who hath made both one, and have broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments uh, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile, notice the concord here, the healing, the provision. What did God do to bring Unity, concord, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace, concord, unity, peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. Speaking, those that are far off are a reference to the Gentiles. Them that were nigh were the Jews. Verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit, Unto the Father. So the cross provides unity both horizontally and vertically. Notice the cross unified letter A, the Jews to the heathen. The Jews to the heathen. Look down at verse number 14 with me again. Notice here, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. This invisible wall, this wall of animus that ran between the Jews and the Gentiles. Part of what Jesus did when he died on the cross is he made it possible for that wall to be 
torn down and unity to be enjoyed through the person of Christ. Look at verse number 17. It says, And came and preached peace to you which were afar off Gentiles, and to them that were nigh, the Jews. Now, um, Ephesus, again, we're, we're, uh, we're preaching a message out of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians was written to the church in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was in modern-day Turkey. Okay, modern-day Turkey, back in Bible times, modern-day Turkey was known as Asia Minor. I believe Turkey was also more specifically referred to by the Apostle Paul as Macedonia. All right, and there are all kinds of churches in Macedonia. Ephesus is located in the country of Turkey. And so most everyone, if not everyone in this church were Gentiles. This book was written to a church of, of, of that, that was dominated by Gentile, non-Jew believers. They had been looked down on. They had been mistreated because of their heritage, because of the color of their skin. During Paul's lifetime, the Jews were very, very, very prejudiced toward anyone that was not of their race. Jesus Christ came so that he could show the Jews the heirs of their racism and unite the Jews to the Gentiles. Now, Jesus, watch this now, Jesus is for all of us getting along. All of us. We should never, ever, ever look at someone who looks different than us, comes from a different background, comes from a different wealth status, and treat them any different. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is no respecter of persons. No respecter of persons. And we ought never be a respecter of persons. Yesterday we had our open house. And we had people come in here uh, that were all sorts of different nationalities. And we had one family come in uh, visiting, uh, just stopped in, that was African American from Bridgeport. We had another family stop in uh, that was Hispanic from Mexico and didn't speak any English. And we had people come in that were obviously affluent and had money. We had people come in who, by the very nature of uh, where they live or how they dress or the way they smell, it would appear or seem as though they have no money. And you know what would have been wrong for me to do? It would have been wrong for me to walk around and find the people here that uh, looked like me or talked like me or lived like me or above me and, boy, just be really kind to them. And the other people that come in here that maybe don't uh, uh, live on the same social uh, uh, level I do or make as much money as I do to go and uh, ignore them and, and just give them a, a quick hello and not talk to them, that would have been wrong. You know what Jesus did? He came to heal all of those divides. Christian, the best thing you can do, especially if you have children or teenagers, is get your children and teenagers around other people who don't look like you or talk like you or act like you. Oh, I'm not talking about making them best friends with someone who will be a bad influence, but I, I am talking about exposing them to life outside of your little bubble and helping them to see that Jesus loves everybody. Jesus came along to help the Jews see, hey, no, listen, Jesus loves the Gentiles the same. He came to help heal the divide between the Jews and the heathen. Now, did all the Jews take to it? No, no. In fact, many, many Jews, not all of them, but many, many Jews of this day are still very prejudiced against non-Jews. Here we are 2,000 years removed. But I have to say this, and I hope that you'll get this from the point uh, here is that the closer a person gets to Jesus, 
the less prejudiced they are. You understand that this morning? To be like Jesus is to throw prejudice out. There's a lot of talk uh, in the news today. There's a big push going on in many schools today, definitely public universities. I, I believe some of this may have even trickled down into some of our public high schools and maybe even below that. I can't say that for certain. Uh, I've not looked at curriculum uh, on that level. But my understanding is that we have an anti-racism push. What is anti-racism? Anti-racism sounds really good. But like many things, the uh, people hijack the English language and get it to mean something it doesn't. This idea of anti-racism isn't just that you are against racism. It's also that you are against all of the systems that brought about racism. And we must burn the whole system to the ground and start over. You know, this is an avenue to get rid of our U.S. Constitution. This is an avenue to rush in socialism and communism in its place. And I'll say this this morning, I am not a racist on any level. Uh, I am married to a Hispanic woman. I spent my life growing up in inner cities, and some of my best friends uh, growing up uh, were not my skin color and didn't have uh, a middle-class background like I did. And, and, and I had uh, best buddies on church bus routes and best buddies in church youth groups uh, uh, from that nature. But I have to say this, I may not be racist, but I'm not an anti-racist. And I, I am for us taking the system that we have and making the best of it. And listen, you live like Jesus, you walk like Jesus, you talk like Jesus, you act like Jesus, and prejudice just seems to wash away, just washes away. Boy, I, I, I will praise White Oak Baptist Church in this, in this way. We're one of the most diversified uh, cultural churches I've ever, ever been a part of. And I'm thankful for that. People from all sorts of backgrounds come here and they feel welcomed and loved and praise God for that. Notice letter B, Jehovah to humanity. We see the cross unified, the Jews to the heathen, and then Jehovah to humanity. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says, And came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. And then verse 18, For through him we both have access by one spirit, Unto the Father, unto the Father, Jehovah God. Jehovah was uh, someone known uh, by the Jews, uh, Yahweh, uh, Adonai, that, that presence of God, that, uh, that, that enjoyment of God's presence in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And uh, Jesus came in order to say, listen, it isn't salvation, it isn't just for the Jews, it's also for the Gentiles, and you can have your sins forgiven. The sin of mankind caused God to turn his back on us, but fellowship was broken, and God was angry at the citizens of this world because sin had been chosen over His fellowship. What did Jesus Christ do? He came and became the object of God's wrath. God poured out His anger on Jesus and punished Him. The Bible tells us in Second Corinthians five, verse twenty-one: For He hath made Him Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What is the message of the Bible? It is that Jesus died on the cross so that He could make a trade with mankind. What a wonderful trade. He wants to trade you His righteousness for your sin. 
If you die and do not have the righteousness of Christ marked down on your record, then my friend, you're going to live in eternity separated from everything that God is. What is hell? Hell is just simply the absence of God. It's the absence of God. God is love. Hell is hate. God is splendor and joy. Hell is misery. My friend, if you're here today and you've not yet traded your sin in for the righteousness of Christ, He wants to have unity with you. Oftentimes people go through life and they don't have unity with their Maker. You know, I don't know about you, but when I'm at odds with somebody that I love, my whole life stinks. How many of you here have ever had a fight with a parent or a spouse? Not a fist fight, but a verbal fight. And it lasted for days. And your spirit just hangs low. You all know what I'm talking about? Can you all relate? You know, a lot of humanity goes through life with their spirit hanging low because they've never made peace with God. There's just not that unity. And you know what we do as mankind when we're not right with God? And I'm talking about we're not saved. Now to the Christian, the application's there, right, where you're not right with God as a saved person. But I'm talking about more to the lost right now. Someone who's not made peace with God for eternity, they go through life and things just aren't quite right in life. And, you know, they try to fill that void with music or movies or entertainment or maybe a, a, a substance, alcohol, drugs, whatever it would be. And they're trying to put things in that God hole, that, that, that broken relationship. And then you know what people do? They dismiss God as though he doesn't exist. Now, I, I know there are intellectual atheists who were raised that way from birth, but many, many people who are atheists are atheists because they don't want to face the idea that there is a God they're going to have to give an account to one day. And, uh, you know, if, if I dismiss God outright, then I don't have to worry about being in unity with Him. I don't have to worry about getting a sin debt forgiven if there is no sin to begin with or a God who creates righteousness in sin. And I just want to say this morning that if you've not yet made peace with God, what are you waiting for? You, you must come to the Lord humbly. You must understand that Jesus became your sin debt on the cross. And He doesn't care what you've done. What I'm saying is, it doesn't matter how bad you've sinned. It doesn't matter how far you've gone or how much you've blown it. Jesus became every sin of every human ever to live on the cross. And He extends that righteousness to you. And He says, here, it's yours if you'll just open your heart and humbly accept it. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, how do I do that? Right where you are, you just humbly bow your head and admit to the Lord that you're a sinner and ask Him for that gift of eternal life that He purchased through the cross. If you'll put your faith in Jesus alone, my friend, you can have the unity the cross provides. You can have unity with your Maker. You can have salvation from your sin and a guaranteed home in heaven. Number one, we see the peril of the condemned. Number two, the provision for concord. Number three, notice the perfect cornerstone. The perfect cornerstone. Look down at verse number 19 of Ephesians chapter number 2. The Bible says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, 
but fellow citizens with the saints. Hey, that there's you're on equal uh, level. You're on equal uh, playing. Uh, you're on the same playing field with people uh, with the Jews. Uh, you're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built. Look here upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. These verses speak to our heritage. They teach that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of Christianity. And it teaches that each Christian is a portion of the, if you will, building of our faith. Jesus Christ took 12 men and He trained them. They were His disciples. He disciplined them in the art of being a Christian. They have been the initial building blocks, these 11 men after Judas betrayed Christ. They, they were the initial building blocks, if you will, of the church that Christ placed on top of Himself, Jesus being the cornerstone. Now, Christian, it's your turn. It's your turn. You are supposed to add to the building of the Christian faith. Verse 21 teaches that as the temple is formed, or Christians are added to the faith, that the temple should become more and more holy. Look back at verse number 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. See here that as this building of the church grows, built upon the apostles, Jesus being the cornerstone, as this building grows, it is to be more and more holy. We all understand that a chain is as strong as its weakest link, right? You ever had you ever seen a chain break? When I was a little little boy in school, the older uh, the seniors wanted to raise money for a senior trip and trick trip. So they played this um, uh, game where they finagled money out of elementary kids' pockets. Can you believe that? Can you believe that seniors would uh, would uh, take advantage of little fourth graders? And so they did something called, uh, well, they, they, they did something where they made paper chains. How many of you have ever seen this before? Anybody know what I'm talking about? They, sell, they sold these links of paper, just a strip of paper for like, I don't know, 20 cents a piece, maybe a quarter a piece. And um, uh, as you, they bought these, they'd fold them around each other and create a paper chain. And the class with the longest paper chain in the gymnasium won an ice cream party. So they would, uh, they would spend, you know, $20, $30 on an ice cream party, and they raised hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars uh, for their senior trip out of this. A pretty genius idea. Um, I think I'd probably emptied my piggy bank uh, in order to help our class to win. And looking back on it, I see that was probably not the smartest thing to spend my money on. But, you know, those, cha- those uh, chains were only as strong as the weakest link. And being that they were made out of paper, it wasn't a very strong chain. And you know, uh, Christian, our church is a chain. And our chain is only as strong as the weakest Christian. The weakest Christian. The key to building a healthy building is that each individual brick that makes up that building is at its strongest. And so I want to ask each one of you this question this morning. I've asked questions similar to it before, but I believe that 
uh, questions like this bear repeating over and over and over again. And so please, I want each one of you to listen to me here. If each Christian in our church was equal to you in their Christian life, how healthy would this temple, White Oak Baptist Church, be? How healthy would it be? If each Christian was as healthy as you are, in order for the whole building to be strong, it must be composed of individual bricks that are strong. This is why we should be concerned with our own spiritual health. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 say this. It says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Notice the phraseology there. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. Now, Jesus Christ is the master builder. If you haven't already done so, it may be a good time to turn the blueprints of your life over to God and let Him call the shots on what you do and where you live and what you're involved in and what level of involvement you have at church and how you are a a spouse or a child or a parent, uh, how you are a friend or a student, whatever uh, role you have in life, how you are an employer or an employee. Uh, God has called you to not do it uh, uh, your way, but to do it His way. Some time ago I put a picture on the screen of a blank piece of paper and I said that it ought to have our signature at the bottom and we ought to be asking God to fill in what he wants us to do each day. And if that is how you're living your life, my friend, then you are letting God call the shots. He really is the chief cornerstone of your life. If all of the individuals of this church um, uh, are, are letting God call the shots, letting God be in charge, then we will collectively be a building fitly framed together, that groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. The peril of the condemned, the provision for concord, the perfect cornerstone. Number four, and lastly notice, the protective cover. The protective cover. Look at verse number 22 of Ephesians 2. It says there, and I want to end the sermon on a high note this morning. It says, In whom ye also builded together, or an habitation of God through the Spirit. If you could take your Bibles over to Psalm chapter 9. We're going to look at four verses in the book of Psalm here. Psalm chapter 9. I'm thankful that in my life I've never been homeless. But I've known several people who were. And um, I've laid awake in bed at night thinking about people who were homeless. Especially on a cold, wet night. I I used to coach uh, soccer, or as they say in the Spanish world, football. I coached it for two years. I wasn't a very good coach, but I did it out of necessity because no one else was willing to do it. And um, I remember one game that we played. It was about 35 degrees, and it was misting and raining outside. And, you know, soccer match can go on for an hour and a half, two hours and I'm standing out there in 35 degree. And you know, you, ever, you know, it gets, 
there's moisture in the air, and it, and, and it gets down into your bone, and you're bone cold. You know what I mean to be bone cold? And I'm out there coaching, and I am miserable, miserable. We're getting blown out, like 12 to nothing. And if you ever watch soccer, you're not supposed to let the other team score 12 goals. And so I'm cold, I'm frustrated, I'm miserable, and I wanted nothing more than to be inside. I think about people who have to sleep outside when it's 35 degrees and raining, freezing rain falling out of the sky or snowing. And um, the people that have no home to live in, they're homeless. You know, our, our local uh, Bridgeport and New Haven have a lot of homeless people in them. And my heart goes out to them. My heart breaks for them. You know, um, there's a whole lot more people in the greater Stratford area who may not be physically homeless, but they're spiritually homeless. And they're just as miserable spiritually as homeless people are physically. You know what church is supposed to provide? It's supposed to provide a place of protection. That when the storms of life come and rain down on us, we can come and get out of the rain within the family of God. Look at Psalm chapter 9 and verse number 9. The Bible says, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Turn to Psalm chapter 46 and verse number 1. Psalm chapter 46. The Bible says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Turn over to Psalm chapter 62 and verse number 8. Psalm chapter 62 and verse number 8. I love this verse. I've turned to this verse many times in, in hardships in my life. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Think on this. One more. Psalm chapter 91. Psalm chapter 91 and verse number 9. The Bible says, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. Thy habitation. I can't think of anything better than coming out of the rain underneath a cover and knowing that you can be away from the elements, away from the elements. Life is brutal. Life is brutal. Boy, people out there want to swindle and cheat and steal and hurt. And boy, White Oak Baptist Church ought to be for you a protective cover. A place that you can come and get out of the elements of life. And know that you can experience the healing grace of God. We run to God when we're not in church services. 
to be our cover. But can I tell you that there's just something extra special about having a church family who can look after our needs and love us and help us. I'll just finish with this application. Number one, make sure that when you are hurting, you run to church, not from church. I've noticed a trend in my Christian life. People that are outside of church, when they hit hard times, they run to church. People that are in church, when they hit hard times, oftentimes run from church. That's always baffled me. It's always baffled me. Listen, you make sure that when you hit hard times, that you run more to church. You become more passionate about being underneath the protection, the protective cover of the church family. The second thing I will add is that understand that on any given Sunday, including today, right now in this very room, there are people around you that are hurting. Don't be oblivious to people's pain. Don't be so selfish as to come in and just get what you can out of church and go home. We learn to develop an eye that spots a hurting heart. You don't need to go around and push and prod and be annoying. But you do need to offer a kind word. A shoulder for someone to cry on. A compassionate attitude. Sometimes the way we help a hurting brother or sister is just to stand there and have a jovial, fun conversation with them for five minutes. It's a big deal. That brightens someone's day. But this church is meant to be a protective cover in a world of hurt, a refuge. We are the temple of God framed together. Each one of us here are temples individually with the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And when we come together, we are a local body meant to help one and the other. Well, let's never look down on someone because they're different than us. Let's make sure that we love everyone the same. Let's not be, um, let's not be uh, selective in who we love. Let's not be respecter of persons. White Oak Baptist Church, I'm going to talk more about this tonight when we go through 3 John. But the plan and the goal is to maximize unity at church. Because where there is unity, great things can happen. Hey, let's be like the sunflower. Let's put our eyes on the sun. And let's follow him in unison. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Unity found through the body of Christ.